Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining me this Friday, December 1st. Yes, it's not your imagination. The weeks are going much faster than they used to. Uh, Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. Anyway, it is Friday, and you know what we do every Friday? We spend the first half of the show taking your calls, finding out what you think are the most interesting and important uh, political ideas uh, or news stories of the week. So let me get that phone number out, 773-763-9278. And remember, if you um, can't remember that, don't have a pencil, and you're going to yourself right now, you know, today was the day, gosh darn it, I was going to call in for the first time, and I just missed that number. Well, here it is again. 773-763-WCPT. Okay? The lovely Paul Shivari is back at the studio, and he can't wait to talk to you. Isn't that right, Paul? That's right. That's right. You betcha that's right. (laughs) Oh, my God, Paul, it's going to be one of those kind of Fridays. You better be ready to sit in and co-pilot this plane because uh, I'm not sure the pilot is responsible. We'll get through this together. (laughs) That's right. I am going to take you down with me, buddy. (laughs) Um, Anyway, this is going to be... Uh, a very special show. Well, not that they're all not special, but this one is particularly so. I didn't realize this when I asked him to join me today, but tonight, uh, I believe, is Rick Smith's last radio show. Rick Smith has decided that he is going to be doing something else, and we are going to talk to him about what that something else is. He's going to join us at about 415 today and uh, talk to us about why he is uh, folding up his tent and leaving the radio airwaves and what he is going to be doing after that. And I believe tonight will be the last night that we share his show here on WCPT. I'm hoping that he'll still be free to come on the radio with me and talk to me every once in a while because he is a delightful person to talk about. To, to talk with and to talk about the news of the day with because he um, he's always up on everything and pays attention to everything and has some really terrific insights about the world. So um, for, at 4.15 till the end of the show, we are going to be talking to Rick Smith. <clears throat> we have Pet of the Month today, which is always a nice way to head into the weekend. Uh, today, we're going to go an extra... 15 minutes with Pet of the Month because I really want Tracy Elliott and Craig Bodagowski to talk about this new mystery illness. Have you read about this? Have you heard about this? This new mystery illness that is uh, affecting affecting dogs. Some people are, are calling it the, the dog version of, of COVID. Gosh, 
I sure hope that's not the case. Um, but we will be, in addition to talking about our new pet of the month, who you can find, by the way, if you go to go to WCPT820.com, and uh, that will take you automatically to HeartlandSignal.com. From there, uh, in the upper left corner, you see WCPT. Click on that. It will take you to the radio page, and you will see our newest, our newest, most beautiful puppy that we have um, as our pet of the month here on WCPT. A sweet little chubbly little thing called Ajax. We're going to be talking about Ajax and talking about this weird mystery illness that seems to be hitting dogs in our Pet of the Month segment, which uh, will begin today at 3.30. So until then, it is going to be calls and texts. Let me see. I got to log on. We have a new texting system, so I have to log on to it fresh. And uh, and that same phone number, that same phone number, 773-763-9278, you can use that to uh, shoot me a text. Okay, now we got all the business out of the way. George Santos kicked out of Congress today. I'm sorry, I don't know where that sound came from. Now I understand why uh, Stephanie Miller has a sound effects board, because sometimes you just need a little extra oomph. He uh, refused to resign, even though he said he saw the writing on the wall and he knew that this is what his colleagues were going to be up to today. We have the sound of new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, who um, had the, do we call it a pleasure? had the duty, shall we say, to announce the vote earlier today. Listen to Mike Johnson. Two-thirds voting in the affirmative. The resolution is adopted, and a motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. The clerk will notify the governor of the state of New York of the action of the House. Under Clause 5D of Rule 20, the chair announces to the House that in light of the expulsion of the gentleman from New York, Mr. Santos, the whole number of the House is now 434. And with that, he was gone. George Santos getting up, walking out of the chambers. There was a car waiting for him, I guess. And reporters, of course, were peppering him with questions the entire way. (laughs) And he looked at them and he said, you know, At least unofficially, I am no longer a member of Congress, and that means I don't have to answer your questions anymore. Got in the car, went away. You know, I get a lot of different emails. Um, Indivisible sends out an email every day. There's Indivisible Chicago, and then this is the National Indivisible. And, you know, I can see the headlines before I open it up. And the headline for today's indivisible email was George Santos, author of the Declaration of Independence and 10 time NBA All Star, expelled from Congress. <laughs> indivisible doesn't usually have quite that kind of a sense of humor. So, what happens now in New York uh, for the people of New York's third district? 
the governor, Kathy Hochul, will announce uh, that uh, there is going to be a special election. It will probably occur sometime in mid-February. And uh, this is the candidates for this aren't going to be like regular candidates for office where they run around and get signatures on petitions. Local party leaders are going to select the candidates because the winner of this special election only serves out the end of George Santos's term. It's not like they are anointed to continue beyond that. So um, look for that seat to be highly contested. I would think that the Democrats would have to have a great, great opportunity here, don't you think? That they would have to have a great opportunity to pick this up, for God's sake? (laughs) I mean, don't you think the people are a little bit sick of what they did last time around and what the Republican Party thrust on them? A candidate that clearly they did not vet? So, um, hopefully... Um, By um, the end of February, we will have another Democratic seat in Congress. Yes, the Republicans will still have a very, very, very slim majority. As of today, with this expulsion, they have a three-seat majority. You know, but even if the Dems take that seat, they'll still have at the very least a two-seat majority. But um, slow but steady wins the race. Supposed mid, mid-level moderate Republican Don Bacon. I say that because if you really look into his voting record, he doesn't look so moderate to me, but he's considered uh, in today's Republican Congress a moderate. Whew. He um, was um, on the air with uh, MSC, MSNBC's Ryan Nobles and uh, talked about the whole this whole situation on George Santos. Listen to this. You're now only going to have a, a three seat majority. Does that concern you at all? It does. But yet I think there still had to be justice and accountability. I mean, in the end, are we going to are we going to change the scales of accountability and justice based on a narrow majority? I don't think we should. Now, there, there'll be an election. Uh, I think it's more of a toss-up seat. Uh, I know there were some concerns, too. I don't know, like Bill Johnson's leaving, but that will, that will be a Republican. Right. In the end, you can't let that shape your – you can't have a – you can't shape your values on whether it's three-seat majority or ten-seat majority. Right. you got to do what's right. Uh, this was a massive distraction for the, the work you guys are trying to do every single day. At the very least, are you glad that this is not something you're going to have to answer questions no, about all the time? It's time to move on. But I want, I want folks to know that – my goal is the Republicans have a right and wrong. There's accountability. And we shouldn't tolerate someone in our ranks that lied and stole. I mean, uh, no one want to let the voters decide that. But th- these are criminal things. And I thought the, the investigation, the ethics investigation was damning. I mean, it was, it was, ter- I mean, it was like a, t- it was a knockout punch on him. But what, what was written about him? You know, that sounds kind of, Reasonable, except that this was the third vote taken by Congress to expel George Santos, 
Shortly after he was elected to Congress, many, many of his lies, the fact that his whole life was a complete fabrication, it came to light. So this whole, well, you know, we've got to do the right thing. Yeah, they could have done the right thing right after George Santos was seated. And all of this came to light. But back then, his vote was considered too important. And the problem with with that was, um, A, it makes them look a little bit hypocritical. Oh, yes, we have to do the right thing. Well, you could have done the right thing quite a while ago, but you didn't. Now you're doing the quote-unquote right thing for two reasons. First of all, 2024 is coming up, and you don't want Santos to hurt your chances for re-election. And um, second of all, George Santos didn't take the pass he got earlier and rise to the occasion to do good things. He got worse, if anything. He started stealing money, misappropriating funds and credit cards. I mean, the guy made up his whole life. Did you think if you kept him in Congress, somehow he was going to turn into somebody else? I guess this is one of those better late than never situations. Anyway, um, there are a number of callers waiting to join the conversation. Let's take a break and get to them right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Friday, every Friday. We uh, read your texts and take your calls, 773-763-9278. Let's go to those phone lines. George is calling in from the south side of Chicago. Hello, George. Hello, Joan. Thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to bring everybody's attention to some insights that Trump's niece, the eminent Dr. Mary Trump, had in her website today. Um, She talked about the fact that a Republican congressman named um, Max Miller from Ohio's 7th District sent a letter to all of his Republican colleagues why he would be voting to expel uh, George Santos. Uh, He had learned that the Santos campaign had overcharged his personal credit card and the personal credit card of his mother for amounts that exceeded FEC limits. Uh, He said that neither his mother nor himself approved of these charges or were aware of them. And uh, in his words, taken with a grain of salt, had to spend tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees in order to resolve the matter. In other words... Congressman Miller didn't vote to expel George Santos because he'd been indicted on a shocking 23 federal charges. He voted to expel him because Santos allegedly stole money from him and his mother. And she makes this point. It's always the same with the right. They only seem to care about an issue if it impacts them directly. That does seem to be the case, doesn't it? Um, You know, like they take various positions and then all of a sudden either somebody in their family gets an illness that they've defunded or something else happens to somebody they know. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, my gosh, I see things differently now. You know, some people really 
just have to, they really do have to experience something. They just don't have any, any empathy unless it is something that they have suffered through. I, I, I really think the ability to empathize with people who've gone through something you have not is, uh, is really something that is critically important for the people we elect. And you just gave a perfect example of why. And it's something that we've seen over and over again, and we haven't seen the last of it. Um, yeah. I, leopards tend not to change their spots, and uh, the kind of mindset that we have on the right in this country is is even more severe than it used to be. Yep. I mean, we, you've got so many members of the House who were put in deadly danger, in peril for their lives on January 6th. And they're all carrying water for Trump. That's just mind-boggling. Yes. Yes, a thousand times yes. And um, in today's um, uh, newsletter that comes with Adam Kinzinger's substack, Adam Kinzinger, I think, uh, reminded us that while... um, Uh, They may have kicked out George Santos. The GOP still has a problem. Here's what he wrote. A liar, fraud, money launderer, indicted, hanger on, is expelled from Congress, while a liar, fraud, money launderer, indicted, hanger on, is leading the GOP race for president. You know, when you're right, when you're right, you're right. Yeah, Trump couldn't be Trump without all of his... And I'm not saying M-A-G-A, MAGA, I'm saying maggot, M-A-G-G-O-T followers. He yeah. needs those millions of maggots to keep him in in, in play. Uh, just where their heads are at is like they're from Mars. I don't know. They're, yeah. yeah. They see a different world than, than lots of other folks see. They really do. They really do. And for the ones who are the most cultish, I don't think there's any coming back. You know, I think um, Donald Trump could die tomorrow and they'd be putting flowers on his grave for whatever time they have left on this earth. It is um, it's a it's like a religious kind of fervor. But um, I don't think it's doing them any good. I don't think it's doing the country any good either, George. Oh, I agree. And, And in a sense, it's an indication of the fact that the American Civil War never really ended. You know, that the mindset of, um, I don't know, white superiority and racism, it just modifies and evolves into different sinister ways through the years. And, you know, who? in fact, it was Frederick Douglass who said, I'm paraphrasing a bit, that the the mindset of white Americans and though particularly those who were um, Confederate minded racists, he said it won't end in a day or a week, a month, a year, a generation, or a lifetime. He said it it won't end in an age, and we're still in that age of narrow minded tribal right-wing redneck thinking yeah yeah george thank you so much for the call uh before we uh, go to break i want to get this text from edgar who's texting in from brooklyn 
Please tell me that George Santos will not be eligible for a lifetime of medical coverage for his short and embarrassing stint in government. If so, there is no justice. I remember this is probably based on a quote from Santos himself, who told people that if he could just get elected to Congress, that um, he would be taken care of for life. And I do not believe that is true as far as the medical coverage goes. There are some perks of being in Congress that last um, things like supposedly once you're a member of Congress and you say return to D.C., you can walk onto the House floor. You can use um, facilities there that are only available to lawmakers. Um, but. Some of these perks that come with being a former congressperson, he might lose um, because some of there are some groups that want to. I don't know if they have to go to court to do this or whether there is a mechanism under the rules of Congress. But there is at least one group that is going to try to take action to make sure that any of the perks allowed a former congressperson are denied to George Santos. But the the idea that Santos himself said that if he could just get elected to Congress, he'd have health care for life. I don't believe that's true. I believe I saw an interview with Adam Kinzinger where he said that that was not the case. And so as somebody who used to be in Congress, he should know. Let's take a break. We'll get to more calls and more texts right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Friday. We spend the first half of every Friday taking your calls, 773-763-9278. Um, we also take your texts. You can use that same phone number to shoot us a text. And um, I will try to stay on top of those as well. Let's go to the phone lines. Jim is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Jim, how are you? Hi, Joan. I got a couple of questions for the uh, Republican debate. The first one would be, why is it so difficult to catch a, a candidate with 100 criminal indictments? That seems like an easy person to <laughs> like catch. Apparently they yeah, it sounds like a layup, but apparently they can't do it. The other one would be the two Ps. Is this a persecution or a prosecution by the Democratic Party to keep this genius from regaining power? And the third would be, what in all the name that's holy, what is the deep state? Could you please describe the deep state to me? What is that? How would you, how would you define that? Well, my, when people use that, when people use that phrase, it seems to me that what they are implying is that there is a sort of a shadow government within our government bureaucracy, a group of individuals within the bureaucracy that really determine how decisions are made and what they will be and what direction things will go in. Sort of a secret evil cabal buried within <laughs> the, the, the structure yeah. of a normal, boring bureaucracy. Yeah, and, and I have my dear mother, dear departed mother, and a couple of my close relatives work for the government as secretaries, etc., different things. 
and I can't remember them ever coming home and assigning allegiance to either party. They were more concerned about their paycheck, if you know what I mean. Uh, so mm-hmm. the, the, steep, the steep state business is just, it's ad nauseum. I mean, it's its so, uh, it, we're so divorced from reality today that it, it's its hard to describe how a party, the Republican Party, is so divorced from reality on every issue, you know, medicine, science, yeah. politics, culture, they're completely divorced from reality. Uh, you've got a candidate who, who's completely uh uh, who believes that he won? I know he doesn't know. He, I don't think he knows it. And his lawyers are turning on him left and right. You see the one in the in the documents case said, "Oh, I told, I told him that oh, you're going to get in trouble if you don't uh, submit these papers." But he ignored me because they're <laughs> going for their own lives. You know, they're mm-hmm. going for their own exactly. lives at this point. And why and, is it uh, that he keeps getting lawyers, even though it's he's he's gone from the A team to the B team so. to the C team to the D team? But I know, I know, I know. Are there chances of getting yeah. indicted and losing their licenses? Uh, I, I know it. I know it. They're putting themselves in jeopardy. Uh, and uh, then the gag order was reinforced again this week because he he refuses to, to have every any. Uh, uh, mercy for anybody on the earth. I mean, he's, he's attacking this woman's, uh, the judges, uh, it'd be like if you went to court and you started attacking the bailiff, you know, I mean, if I started, to, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. bailiff, I don't like the way you, I mean, how long did you last in court? But, it, but the point is, he has followers that are nuts enough to, uh, to physically harm these people. Yeah. And I was just reading, I think it was this morning or last night, that in the uh, New York fraud case, the law clerk who's working with Judge uh, Engeron, she's getting 25 to 30 credible death threats every week. Every well, how, would week. You like to, how would you like to live under those circumstances? I mean, my God, I mean, doesn't he think of any of his fellow man at all? And this man's no. going to run for president of the United States? Silly, I silly mean, boy. That, you know he doesn't, Jim. I know, I know, I know, Joe. But I mean, think about if that was you, and you, you were actually getting twenty-five threats every time you touch you your head to the door. You wouldn't know what to expect. But anyway, Joan, a, a rainy day in London town, and you have a great weekend, Joan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Take Thank care. you for that right, call, bye-bye, Jim. Joan. I appreciate it. Um, our good friend Bobby is calling in from Indiana. Bobby, how are things in Indiana today? Hey, who's this? Hey, is this Miss Joni? This is Miss Joni. Or as uh, we call you, the Stephanie Miller of radio. <laughs> well, you know, I think there already is a Stephanie Miller of radio. Not that I'm criticizing yeah. you, Bobby. Um, so I'd yeah, have to be she, like... Uh, I got a, I got a uh, kind of a laugh this week because she was getting kind of excited about something and was banging on the table, kind of reminding me like what you do sometimes. The only problem is when she does it, she bounces all of her equipment and they have to keep telling her, don't do that. Don't do that. Mm. They say, we're going to get you a separate table so you can pound it all you want. But, um, but speaking of table pounding, uh, uh, what you started the week with, um, uh, uh, Biden's uh, uh, 
new uh, plans for the economy and uh, boost it and keep it going and and all. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went out Monday to do my shopping trip, <laughs> so I put my grocery money aside and I says, well, here's $6. That's what's going to go in the gas tank this week. That should get me far. And when I pulled up to the gas station, I just about rolled my car through the building. Oh, boy. I says, am I reading that right? Two ninety-four a gallon. Really? Really. I actually got money back, 20 <laughs> cents. No, I got money back from my six bucks filled, topped off the tank. Wow. Man, everybody's going to be driving over to Indiana now. Everybody's going to be driving. Now, my grocery bill is still way higher than it was last year. And uh, I wish they could do something uh, about the rent situation, but I'm hoping that if... uh, what I saw at the gas station is kind of the sign of the wheels now turning back in the right direction. And over time, uh, that'll all work into, uh, you know, because transportation costs uh, are a major part of groceries and everything else. So if, uh, if they're going down, you know, for uh, fuel, for people hauling the goods, making the goods, uh, hopefully that's going to start filtering more and more into the uh, cost of things in general, and it will all uh, steadily breathe a little easier, I hope. You know, Bobby, it's really interesting that you mentioned that and how even though you know, you read that the economic news is good. You still feel like you're pinched at the grocery store. Um, uh, earlier in the week, um, I shared a portion of an interview that Robert Reich did with Jared Bernstein. Uh, Jared Bernstein is the chair of the Council of Economic Advisors at the White House. Um, Robert Reich, of course, used to be in, um, I think it was Clinton's cabinet, and they were talking about this exact thing that you were just talking about with your groceries. They were talking about inflation and why is it that if inflation has gone down, that some people still aren't acknowledging it or, or feeling it. Paul, if you could if you could play that Robert Reich on inflation right now, that'd be great. Yes, inflation has come down a lot, but prices themselves remain quite elevated. Let me give you a quick example. The gas price was 340 this morning across the nation. That is a buck 60 below where it was. June of 22 it was north of $5. It was $5, it came down to 340. That's great movement in the right direction. Pre-pandemic it was 250. If you're remembering that 5, if that's your baseline, you like where we are on gas. If you remember the pre-pandemic price 250, then we're not down far enough for you. How do you get past that? rising real pay. As their buying power goes up, they can buy that tank of gas for the same amount of work that they could before. That's how you solve that solution. And we're moving in the right direction. 
And I, I thought that was a really interesting way to explain it, because if your wages aren't going up, if your Social Security check isn't going up to to counter the inflation, then even if we say, oh, my God, this is great. Inflation is the lowest it's been in a thousand years. It doesn't do any good if you're still paying more of your income for that loaf of bread. I thought this was a really good way to explain it, because a lot of times people are saying, well, you know, the economy's doing so well and, and, and you know, people are getting hired and um, inflation is down. So why don't people appreciate all the things that Joe Biden is doing? If your paycheck is exactly the same as it's been for the last five years, then even if even if we're telling you inflation is down, you're still paying more from that paycheck to buy that milk and to buy well, that bread. You know, yeah. Uh, well, that's you're, you're kind of with me hitting it on the head because for years now, my sole paycheck has been Social Security. Now, most of those years, there's been a cost of living increase. But every year that I've gotten a cost of living increase, I've also gotten rent increases and the the, the cost of living increase is every year has been more than offset by the raise in cost of utilities, food, or rent, or some combination of them. So Mm -hmm. that like, Oh, I'm getting a $30 a month raise starting next year in Social Security. Oh, but my rent just went up $35. You yep. know what I'm saying? And that's not and counting then, all the other things. Oh, and your utilities. Well, we need, right, we haven't had a price right. increase in the, we're the gas company and we haven't had a price increase in five years and it's not going to be that big a deal. <laughs> Everybody's just going to pay right. an extra $5 and that's another $5 mm-hmm. that puts you down deeper that, in the that, hole. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's it. Every year you get that raise but somehow you're ending up a little deeper down that rat hole every year. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's just the way it is. I, yeah. I know I'm not alone, and, and by God, I know that as, as hard as I get hit, I can, I can go across the street and I'm going to find somebody worse. So, yeah. you know, uh, I understand that part of the equation, too. But um, it's just... Uh, it's just the world we're in, so uh, so go buy yourself an ice cream cone and enjoy <laughs> it and have a, good, have a good weekend, okay? Thank you, Bobby. That sounds delightful. And take care of yourself, my friend. We are going to take a break. We're going to be back with more calls and texts right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Um, a couple of uh, of our texters. Um, Somebody who's texting me, I think, uh, from Indiana, got something in the mail. Christian voter registration confirmation and survey. Something being sent. It's basically a survey being sent out to people that they've somehow identified as Christian voters. Um, I'm sure this is... um, as legitimate as those fake newspapers they went that went out, um, you know, with the last election. You know how Dan Proft 
uh, was behind that and sent out newspapers that looked like the kind of community newspapers we used to get before it got too expensive. (laughs) And um, they all went away. And uh, these um, were meant to look like um, regular newspapers. They were meant to fool people into thinking they were local newspapers. But indeed, they were not. They were basically um, thinly veiled Republican talking points. So uh, keep you know, keep an eye out if you're if you get one of these Christian voter registration confirmation and surveys in the mail, shoot me a text. I'd like to know if this is going to be a widespread thing. Seven, seven, three, seven, six, three, nine, two, seven, eight. Another one of our texters wanted to remind me that today is the 65th, 65th anniversary of Our Lady of the Angels school fire. That um, was before my time in Chicago, but it is still something that is so fresh in the minds of everybody who grew up here. Ninety-two children and three nuns died in that fire. It was something that really has... It's, it was one of those events that if you lived here then, it was in 1958. Actually, I was actually very much a toddler then. Um, but it's, if, if you or your family were around then, or God forbid you had a friend or relative involved in it, it really is one of those events. There are events occasionally that just embed themselves in our minds, in our hearts, in our psyches, events that will always resonate. And for, I know, many, many people throughout the Chicago area, the Our Lady of the Angels fire is um, is one of those events. And um, every year it is something that most news organizations do make note of. I generally stay away from um, the regular, like, um you know, shootings and fires and things like that on this program. But since it was pointed out by one of our listeners, I do want to acknowledge the 65th anniversary of that terrible, terrible, terrible tragedy. Let's uh, talk some more politics. Let's go back to the phone lines. Paula is calling in from Glen Ellen. Hey, Paula. Thanks for joining the conversation. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. First of all, I, I have a couple questions for you, but I am call- <laughs> I'm calling from the infusion center in the hospital for my neuromuscular disorder. And uh, I'd rather wa- listen to you than watch the big screen they give, give me in the room. So, yes, you're more entertaining. So, Well, yeah. thank you. Um, That's very kind of you because welcome. I know when you're sitting with a, an IV in your arm and you're going to be there for hours, man, you need right, distractions. Exactly. Yes, you understand more than a lot of people. So, yeah, okay. I just wanted to ask you uh, about the, what did you think about Gavin Newsom's domination over DeSantis with the debate? And is he a viable candidate, do you think, for Biden versus Biden? Um, 
I did not see the debate. I had read about it, that it was going to happen, then it wasn't going to happen, then it was going to happen. And I honestly, I stopped paying attention to news about this because it sort of mm-hmm. seemed uh, it seemed like a, a non-event to me. I mean, I do think that Gavin Newsom, well, I don't think he's going to challenge Biden directly. I think Gavin Newsom is doing everything in his power to position himself as if not the number one candidate, then certainly a viable candidate if for some reason mm-hmm. President Biden changes his mind and decides not to run. Um, and I think he's he's doing everything in his power to make sure that his profile is a national one, not simply known throughout the state of California. I think Gavin Newsom is a really smart guy. Right. I think he's right. done a lot of good things. I I also think, though, and I would like to believe that he could potentially overcome this. I think that in many parts of this country, there's a real prejudice against California. You know, oh, California, mm-hmm. they think they're better than everybody. They're prettier than everybody else. <laughs> you know, they're this, they're that. Yeah. We hate them. We, there's too much sunshine <laughs> and too many smiles in California. Um, it's it. I, I say that jokingly, but I do think that um, that there is a certain hurdle to be overcome if you are a politician from California. And look at him. He looks like a movie star. So right. could he overcome right. all that uh, if he says <laughs> the right things and does the right things and handles himself on the debate stage? Yeah, I, I think he could. But I think that those would be things he would have to overcome, almost like. When you're um, a woman running for a high profile office, you know, in, in whatever way you choose, you have to address basic misogyny. You have to prove to people mm-hmm. that you are tough enough and you are smart mm-hmm. enough and you want to right. be attractive, but not too attractive. You want to dress nice, right. but not too nice. I mean, it's right. it's it's like that speech. I don't know if you saw the Barbie movie. <laughs> But America Ferreira gives this speech about what it's like to be a woman and to try to be successful and how you have to thread the needle in so many ways. And um, I I think that that is true for women. And I think it's going to be something that if he decides to run nationally, Gavin Newsom is also going to have to overcome the whole we hate California <laughs> feeling that much of the country has. What do you okay, think? Very good. Very good answer. Thank you very much, Joan. Appreciate uh, it. Well, Paula, before you before you hang up, what do you think about Gavin Newsom as a national candidate? <laughs> I really don't know. I really can't give you my opinion. That's why I asked you. But um, I think he's um, he's pretty strong. Yeah, he's pretty strong. And uh, could I give them a run for their money? I really do. But mm-hmm. I agree with everything you said. And, um, yeah, yeah, I yeah. One other thing that I think Gavin Newsom would have to overcome, he was once married to Kimberly Guilfoyle. I don't know if that name rings a bell with you, but remember her, I think it was at the nominating convention, the one who screamed, the best is yet to come. (laughs) Yeah, he was once married to her and she's now, of course, deeply embedded in with the Trump family. And I think he's going to have to answer for that. But other than that. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Very good. 
Okay. Thanks for the call, Paula. Appreciate weekend, it. Okay. You too. Take care. Uh, let's go to the phone lines again. Ron is calling in from Chicago. Hello, Ron. How are you today? Oh, pretty good. Um, Donald Trump must be very uh, disappointed in Speaker Mike Johnson. Uh, there was no government shutdown, and George Yet. Santos was right. George Santos was expelled today, and there is no progress in. Uh, impeaching President Biden. So what, what is Mike Johnson going to say next time he goes to Mar-a-Lago? Is he, is he going to blame it on Kevin McCarthy? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, that's a, those are very good questions. <laughs> those are, are very good questions. Um, Mike Johnson, it's funny. He, um, you know, um, he's obviously very far right, so you would think... He would be right up Trump's alley. But as you say, he's been doing things that don't necessarily fall in line with uh, Trump's wants and needs. So I I think Mike Johnson is um, doing the best he can to hide. (laughs) I think he walks around with his jacket over his head so nobody sees him. You know, I think this guy doesn't want any attention because he's in a position where any attention's got to be got to be bad for him. All right. Yeah, uh, he, he's, he's he's good at that. And also, uh, now that uh, the ethics committee has investigated uh, George Santos, uh, are they going to investigate Matt Gates? Uh, he has an interesting lifestyle. Yeah, I know. And I think if if Matt Gates were ever <clears throat> to face you know, any criminal charges, which as of yet he has not. And uh, Florida was pursuing uh, a criminal investigation into him, and then they stopped it. And then there were were reports recently that they were going to pick it back up again. Um, Clearly, the, the... Either the fix was in or the case against Gates is too muddy. I think it would... I think Matt Gates would uh, be... In trouble if he were indicted. Um, But even then, there were Republicans who said, you know, George Santos hasn't been convicted of anything and we shouldn't expel him until he's actually convicted, not simply indicted. So I'm not sure even if Gates were indicted on these um, child sex trafficking charges, I I don't know. It's, um, you know, they're they can't keep kicking these people out because, you know, they're going to get to the point where Democrats are in the majority pretty soon. Right. Yeah. I, I'd like to see the FBI uh, grab uh, Matt Gates' uh, computers. That would be interesting. Oh, wouldn't that be? Yeah. Though if he has any brain, he's tried to clean them up by now. But, yes. Yes, I think Matt Gates is um, is very problematic, and it will be really interesting to see him run for governor in Florida, which by all accounts is what he views as his next move. Because, you know, people in Florida are a little bit different. <laughs> They're yeah. a little bit different. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we'll have to see how that goes. But, Ron, thank you so much for the call. Um, one of our uh, texters, John from Hammond, Indiana, texted in after that discussion about Gavin Newsom that um, that I should remember that Ronald Reagan was from California. And he not only was governor like Gavin Newsom, but he became president. And I do. Yeah, I agree. I think that I think that was a more innocent time. 
also, too, you know, Reagan may have been a movie star, but he wasn't. He didn't. He never really had like matinee idol good looks. And he was more avuncular. I mean, Ronald Reagan, you know, he knew how to work a camera. He knew how to give a speech. And he came across as more Walter Cronkite, just sort of somebody you can trust. I, it, I think it was much of it was an act, but he came across as somebody who was really, really trustworthy, not somebody who was, you know, slick in any way, shape or form. So, yes, I mean, we have had successful. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger said if he hadn't been born in another country, he would absolutely be running for president. So another California guy and this one, a major movie star. So we shall see how it all plays out. We're going to take a break for news. Be back with more after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Hi, it's Friday. Every Friday, we open up the phone lines so that you can call in and talk to me or so that you can send me a text. That number is 773-763-9278. If you've never used it before, remember it this way, 773-763-WCPT. Let's uh, go to the phone lines. Bill is calling in from Schaumburg. Hey, Bill, how are you? Good morning or good afternoon. How are you doing, Joan? Good. Good, good. Okay, I wanted to give you an update on the grocery and the grocery prices. Mm -hmm. I've I've been in the grocery industry my whole life. Okay, and I still am. So, uh, in general, uh, I'll give you the company I work for. We carry over 200 SKUs of items that are in grocery stores. Mm -hmm. Just to let everybody know, all the prices are set for all the change at the same price. The and then it happens where then there's a suggested retail. So I can give you examples. Suggested retails last year were 35 percent. Companies jacked it up to 45 percent. Okay, so when you see and you check different chains for product that you buy, look for the lowest price. That is the they're they are taking less percentage. Ah. So that's what it comes. So the profit is done that way. So when a suggested retail, when a company we give a suggested retail of what that product should be sold, because you have independent company, independent drivers that deliver the products which there's a markup for that, the cover for that driver. So when you see some products, you, there's a 20, usually a 20% markup for if they either work for the company or if they're independent. Then on top of that, the stores will jack it up 35 to 45% markup. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, but all the stores, because by law, all have the exact, have the exact same price unless it's on promotion. So stores don't put stuff on sales. The companies that are moving the products give promotional prices. So the stores never lose money because most of them are all fully guaranteed for sale, promotions, and everything else, and even damaged. So a lot of it's been greed because they were making money like crazy during the pandemic. If you look at all the stock, if you look at all the grocery chains during the pandemic, they were all making record profits. That's what and, That was one of the things that... Um, it wasn't Biden himself, but somebody in Biden's administration pointed out that that there were companies taking advantage of the pandemic and raising their prices, not because they were having supply chain issues, but simply because, 
well, it's a pandemic and everybody else is raising their prices. So why not? You know, because you're absolutely right. At the end of the pandemic, there were companies that reported record profits, profits they hadn't seen in years. Yes. So all this that you hear, that's that's the issue. It's still profit taking. And a lot of people don't realize in this business, just like if you see an ad for a chain. Well, companies pay for those ads. They pay $25,000 to put their product to sell on an ad. So uh, there's so many different things over the years that have been added, merchandisers, this, that. All that adds to the cost of why the product has gone up so much, okay? Because mm-hmm. back in the day when we used to, say, for example, 12, 30 years ago when you delivered pop, the stores put it up. The salesman dropped it off. That was it. The stores put it up. Now – no, now you have to have a salesman. Now you have to have a merchandiser. Not, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. what do you think that does? It adds the cost to everything. Yes, it creates jobs, but it also adds cost to everything. So wow. what, I tell, what I tell people is look, look at all the chains for items that you want. And the lowest price, because there are some, I'm not going to say them on the air, those are the ones going off of a lower percentage. Okay? So... That's what it comes down to. You have some, like I can give you an example, um, bakery goods and all your stores that you see, the prepackaged stuff, right, they put out there. That markup is like anywhere from 55 to 70%. Okay? So people have to realize when you're buying this stuff, yes, you're helping the company. There's, there's fair and there's greed. And we've been t- we've been tipped over at the green part. We have to get back to the fair part. Yeah. So. So you think like so for if like if you're a consumer and let's let's say just as an example that I buy a box of Kraft macaroni and cheese every week. You think it would behoove me to check the prices at different outlets? Yes, because some are going to some. Uh, for example, some stores used to run at a twenty five percent margin to twenty eight. Then it's gone up to 30. Then it's mm-hmm. gone up to 35. I can tell you, for example, some of the products that we carry, it was suggested retail last year at 35. They went up to 45. But here's, here's the problem is that see, these companies are so big that they don't realize since they went up that extra 10%, they're not selling as much. So they're really making less money. But the problem yeah. is that they're so big, they don't know what's going down uh, on the ground. Yeah. They don't know what they don't know what exactly what's happening. So I tell people, you can find it. Just look, and if you find something at a re- at that price, then that tells you that they are taking less percentage. So go and shop wow. there, because it's all markup. People need to realize okay. it's not about supply. Oh, that is such good advice, Bill. Thank you so much for sharing that little bit of uh, industry insider knowledge with us. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling in today. Um, good, uh, good information there. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, let's go uh, back to the phone lines. Uh, Paul is on the line from Seattle, Washington. Paul, uh, host of Kitchen Table Progressive here on WCPT every Sunday. But go ahead. Go ahead, Paul. Uh, thank you, Joe. I, I love that. I love that call, uh, Bill. Uh, that was a great call. Yeah. Because the first, the first thing that came out of his mouth, you knew it was going to be great because he said, "I've been in the grocery business all my life, and I still am." That means it's a pretty good business, right? Otherwise, mm-hmm. he wouldn't be in it. <laughs> he couldn't. Mm-hmm. He couldn't. He couldn't feed his family if it wasn't a good business. 
<laughs> so, yeah, all of that. And then we look at, because um, I want to get to the, the polls, but what we're not hearing is what came out kind of, a, it's what the, the media, and I love when you do the segments on the media uh, each week, is trying to sweep it under the rug because you can't hide the fact that, oh, guess what? The 4.9% third quarter growth was revised to 5.2%. Kind of confirming what's happened is these companies have been gouging and they cannot hide the profits because it goes to growth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can't, it, it, it comes out in the statistics and the media is not covering. And also the stock market is nearing record highs once again, nearing record highs. While inflation is going down, unemployment is going down, and wages are up. The Biden economy is blasting. It's just blasting. 5.2%. By the way, when I was talking to Edwin Eisendrath a couple weeks ago, I said, 4.9%, Edwin. He said, said, yeah, but, Paul, you know, that's going to be revised down. (laughs) When Edwin Eisendrath says something slightly less than optimistic, I'm like, (laughs) And then 5.2, it went up by three-tenths of a point. This economy is kicking it. And yet we hear about, oh, the polls show that it's tied, right? Mm. Well, let me tell you something. You can put about as much stock in the polls as you can put in the two things that everybody has, which is an opinion and a rear end. And let me tell you why. Because they're not sampling anything. And if you look at the sample size, this is, when they tell you a, a margin of error, like 4.5% margin of error, that's huge. That's really huge. And what it tells me, and I will teach all of you in just a minute, how to figure out just how many people they actually called, you'll see that that doesn't mean squat. It's, it's like, forget it. It doesn't mean anything. Because when you have, here's an easy way, just to give you an example. If you want to figure out how many people they called, let's say, just to make it easy, um, they say the margin of error is 4%. Okay, here's, what you, here's how you figure out how many people they called. You take 100 and divide by 4. That's the percent margin. So 100 divided by 4 is 25, and then you multiply that number by itself. Well, again, so 25 times 25 is 625, and that's how many people they called. Maybe. But when you see it's 4.5%, you do the same thing, 100 divided by 4.5, you'll get 22.22. You you multiply that out twice, 22.22 squared is less than 500. Now, here's the thing. It's not just the margin of error that counts because the margin of error can slide. It's the span of the margin. So let's say you it's plus or minus 4%. Well, negative 4 to positive four. It's like walking from from four blocks south to four blocks north. That's eight blocks. The span is eight. And that can slide. So, yeah, if when they say the, the race is tied, it could be tied. Maybe. <laughs> it also could be like nine points different, different yeah. between the candidates. You see the I... span depending on how it slides. And I'll give you a great example about I was down in North Carolina visiting a friend. <laughs> I was listening to a talk radio show, a you know, right-wing talk radio, with Sam the Answer Man. And a guy called up and said, Yo, Sam, you know that radio tower down there, being Highway 311? Is that 1,000 feet or 2,000 feet tall? And Sam said, 
Well, you know, I don't know. I think that's pretty close. Could be a thousand or two thousand. And and my friend said, "What? A thousand foot margin of error on a thousand foot tower? It could be two thousand feet, or it might not even be there." And that's kind of where that's kind of where the poles have gone. They're yeah. not worth squat. They and so aren't. when they're saying that that uh, oh, this raises anything they say about state uh, the polls show that, uh, oh, Biden's age is an issue. Anything that the polls say is not reliable. And I'll tell you from personal experience, when you think about it, how many people are they really calling? Okay, I do canvassing for Democrats in my area. And if I go in on a Saturday morning, like say 10 o'clock and stay till after lunch till 1 o'clock, I'm lucky if I actually talk to five people on a three-hour shift. But maybe two people, or maybe six or seven will answer the phone and a couple will hang up. But if, so in other words, in order to get through to 500 people, it would take a hundred people like me working three hours and you're going to pay all these people $10 an hour. The polling companies aren't going to do it. So now they are extrapolating from less numbers and saying, well, this is what would have happened if we would actually you know, uh, they extrapolate the curve and say, this is what it would have been if we'd have actually gotten through to enough people to make sense. The polls, <laughs> yeah. the, the, listen, the last, last year, the Webster's online dictionary, the word of the year was gaslighting because of the polls. This year, it's the flip side of the, cord, it's, uh, of the coin, it's authenticity or authentic. We are not getting authentic news. We are getting gaslighted. And we're getting the, the, the news media wants this to be a horse race. Donald Trump is actually going to get smeared. He's a corrupt man. And as much as they want to get angry about it, Joe Biden, people don't care about how old he is. He, Donald Trump couldn't run across the street if he was on fire. And so <laughs> we, oh, there's, a, there's an image. Ooh, ooh. I agree with you about well, the Well, that would polls. be a grease fire, oh. by the way. Um, yeah. It'd be a grease fire. So, <laughs> oh God! Yeah. Oh God, Paul, yeah, we've got. I'm way okay, past. I'm way past a break. I've got. To, I've got okay. to get to it. Thanks so much for your call and that horrible image that is now seared into my mind. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to be back with more calls right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT eight twenty. We always spend the first half of Friday talking to you, reading your texts, taking your calls. Um, let's go to the phone lines. Ed is on the line from Rankin, Illinois. Hello, Ed. Thank you so much for calling in today. It's an honor to talk to you. You're, you're a celebrity and have been for quite a while. <laughs> well, it's very kind of you to, uh, to say that about me. Um, what is it you'd like to talk about today? You are well liked. Uh, they, uh, song. A very historical song, Fast Car, a 35-year-old song, and it was re-released as a country song by another artist, did nothing to change the style or the pace of the song, and Tracy Chapman was the singer of the song previous. Uh, This song is very historical. I have never seen a song get a reception way this has. I know. And, you know, a lot of times, like, well, like Sinead O'Connor um, redid a Prince song, but she changed it 
um, she changed it completely. She slowed it down, whereas he had done a rock version. I think you're talking about Luke Combs. Luke Combs yes, I am. recorded Fast yes. Car, the song that Tracy Chapman wrote, and it was a big hit for her quite a while ago. But he did it in her style. He did it with her pacing. Exactly. He did. And, and I got to say, I mean, I think it's an exceptional song, but. I don't know why I like his version too, because it's it's very much the same as hers. But he's got he's gotten a huge hit out of it, and you know I hope Tracy Chapman got got a nice uh, chunk of change uh, as the writer of that song. But it you're right, it's really interesting because usually when somebody redoes something, they have to change it in some way, or at least as an artist, maybe they feel like they have to, to make it their own. And he just took a great song, he recorded it just the way it had been written, and it's, for those of you who haven't heard either his version or her version, the song's called Fast Car, you can see lots of um, iterations of it on YouTube and other places, and uh, look up the lyrics, because sometimes, you know, when you're listening to a song, you don't always realize how beautiful the lyrics are. I think this reminds me of the best of Springsteen. Sp- some of Springsteen's, especially early songs, they really are like poems um, put to music. They're just um, they're just haunting. Yes, they can be. Uh, Springsteen seemed repressed in the mid-70s, but he nothing stopped him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jungle Land is the one that, that comes to mind um, that is, you know, very different than his rock anthems. But it's just, it's, um, I love poetry, and I really love songs that are like poetry put to music. Um, Ed, you've never exactly. called in before, have you? No, I haven't. Well, I'm so glad you decided to join the conversation today. It's uh, not often well, I get a call from Rankin in I- Illinois, and I'm so glad that you put Rankin on the map for us. I listen on the standard radio, and unfortunately, at sunset, there's a powerhouse station down in Texas yes. that will not. If for knock those you of you who listen and- in your in your cars. Um, I listen to WCPT in my car, and my car doesn't even, it's one of those new cars that doesn't even get AM radio, but all I have to do oh. is hook my phone up, connect my phone to the car via Bluetooth, and then I use the TuneIn radio app to listen to WCPT in my car. And Patty, Patty Vasquez has talked about this because it really affects her show very much because she comes on at 5. At, at, around dusk, we switch to a different tower to broadcast our signal, and the tower we exactly. switch to um, is it's you can still get a pretty good signal if you live in the city of Chicago and nearby, but the outer areas, um, outer parts of Illinois, south, uh, south uh, western or southeastern Wisconsin, southwestern Michigan, northern Indiana. Um, at, at that point, you really should switch over to your phone or listen on your computer to get the best signal possible. It's real easy to do. You know, on your computer, you just go to WCPTA20.com and you click a button that says listen live. And on your phone, uh, you download uh, the TuneIn radio app and you find WCPT. Your phone gets hooked up to your car. And um, when I'm in my car, I listen to it just like it's listening to the radio. 
So thanks oh, for uh, reminding impressive. me to remind our listeners that there's lots of different ways um, to to listen. And if you miss a show, any of our shows, WCPT posts our shows as podcasts on uh, SoundCloud. So again, go on your computer and go to SoundCloud, look up WCPT and then put in the name, whether it's Santita Jackson or Patty Vasquez or me or um, any of our other hosts. And you can uh, look up the day and the time. You can listen to a specific part of the show or you can listen to the whole show. We actually have a lot of people that listen that way uh, to our shows, not live, but rather later as podcasts. So um, thank you, Ed, for allowing me to um, bring everybody up to speed on that. And thank you for being a first-time caller. Um, it's, thank uh, you it's, for being so receptive. Thank you for being so receptive, and thank you for your time. Always, Ed. Uh, we are going to take a break. We are going to be back with Pet of the Month right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is uh, the time to inform you and put a smile on your face as we head into the weekend. This is our monthly pet of the month segment. If you go to the WCPT web page, you can meet Ajax, a sweet, well-mannered boy. It looks like he might be a little on the chubbly side, but frankly, I think that's a plus Um, rather than a negative when it comes to pets. Um, Most, uh, a bit, 50% of my pets have been a little on the chubbly side. Anyway, um, Craig Bodigowski from Mark Drugs and uh, Tracy Elliott, president and CEO of Anti-Cruelty, are here for our monthly sponsored segment, Pet of the Month. Gentlemen, welcome back to the airwaves. I hope you both had a great Thanksgiving. How about you, Tracy? I did. Thank you very much, Joan. It's great to be back with you. And hello, Craig. And all of that bronchitis gone, Tracy? Uh, 98%, yes. Ah, Almost well, gone. that's uh, okay. Gone. And Craig, did you have a nice Thanksgiving? Oh, yes. It was great to be able to catch up with my entire family and see most of my friends over the long Thanksgiving Day weekend. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I'm all recharged and ready to go. <laughs> um, well, let's let's start by uh, talking about our our newest our newest beloved pet, um, Tracy. What can you tell us about Ajax? I came in the other day, and uh, uh, someone was walking him down the hallway of our of our education center where employees enter, and uh, he's kind of lumbering and and going slowly. He's one of those dogs that is so adorable. The minute you see him, you have to rush over. Of course, you have to be careful and make sure that they're okay with that. But and say, hey, can I speak to him? Can I get down? And he's just an absolute uh, sweetheart. Uh, He's an older boy, nine years old. Uh, I think you used the word chubbly. Yeah, chubbly. Definitely. Yeah, chubbly. Yeah, he's uh, maybe chubbly by two. He is extremely overweight, unfortunately, and really the the new his new person is going to have to be really disciplined about getting that weight off of him because it's really unhealthy for him, especially as a nine-year-old. Um, I think it had to do with probably the lifestyle of his senior, his senior person who unfortunately passed away. But he's, he's, uh, he's quiet. He's gentle. He likes to snuggle. Um, he's just a sweet boy. And he, He's got years left if we can get if we can get that weight off. Um, and, and let me let me sweeter. say that 
um, senior pets, you know, are have so much to recommend them, um, yes. especially for those of those people who maybe either haven't had a pet since they were a kid. Trust me, you have forgotten completely how much work a puppy is. I mean, they have mm-hmm. to go out all the time. They're going to eat all of your shoes. They're going to mm-hmm. eat other things. You know, I had to, for a while, I had to take everything off the bottom quarter of the Christmas tree because I was finding, you know, ornaments and even, thank God they weren't plugged in, strands of lights that were being eaten. You have forgotten how much work a puppy is. And a senior dog, most seniors, they're potty trained. They just want to love you. You know, they'd love to go to for a walk once or twice a day. And it is the senior dogs that I have adopted have been just angels. So please don't overlook somebody like Ajax because you're afraid you know, that, you know, there won't be that much time for the two of you to have together yeah. um, because yes. it's just, I promise you, you will fall in love immediately. That is the truth. Uh, I've done it myself and uh, also done the puppy thing. Um, and they're both great, but a senior pet is very special and they will really get a special place in your heart. I can tell you that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I- and Tracy, you said that um, Ajax came to anti cruelty because uh-huh. their uh, their caregiver, their parent, as you put uh-huh. it, passed yes. away. Yes. Um, Correct. Should you know, especially if you're an older person, and especially if you're living on your own, you don't have a, a spouse or a, uh-huh. or a partner. Uh-huh. Should you like think about putting who's going to take care of your pet? Should that be something that's in your will? Do you think? Or maybe at least talk to people about it? Well, definitely talk about it. A lot of people do put it in their will. Um, A person who is designated a will can say no. Um, There are also uh, pet trust agreements um, where you literally establish a trust for the pet that becomes uh, active when you die and you appoint a trustee. If the trustee signs that in advance and they actually are saying, I will do this, those are, you know, I have to have a lawyer uh, prepare them, although there are some templates out there, I think. So thinking about that, if you're single, um, if you're older, if you don't already have an arrangement with family, is, is a very, very good idea. Yes. Obviously, we exist uh, as an open-door shelter and others in the area. This is not an unusual circumstance for us, I think. Um, and, uh, but it is good to have... Uh, that that planned in advance. It just gives you, I would think, you know, uh, peace of mind mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that your pet's going to be, you know, well cared for after you're gone. And Craig, for a dog like Ajax, who's older and uh, a little bit chubbly, what can you do to help out their, the Ajax's new family, get him in the best shape possible? Well, I guess the, the first thing that I noticed was, um, yeah, I mean, he is overweight, but uh, still definitely mobile. The thing is you have to get yes. them started early to make sure that uh, you be active. Active is the first step. As far as, like, putting the dog on a treadmill or working out, you know, it's going to be a little while before uh, Ajax has uh, mobility to do something like that. But what it all comes down to, and this is true for humans, too, I guess, probably it's uh, mammal-wide, 
situation here where diet is going to be the most important. So having uh, Ajax on a specific diet that would be calorie-restricted but large enough, like um, has enough fiber, has enough volume to make him feel full, uh, I guess one of the things is we have to go back to his history. Before his uh, parents passed away, how many times a day was Ajax being fed? Um, you'd want to kind of match that schedule first, uh, assuming it's not like, you know, four times a day, which is, uh, you know, way out of bounds. But, you know, once or twice a day, and make sure you have a low-calorie but high-volume uh, food that will make Ajax feel full, because that's going to be part of it, to make sure that they're satiated so they're not going around looking for more food. And if you look at his face, if you go to WCPT, the uh, website, the anti-cruelty website, or at markdrugs.com, at the bottom if you see his face and he came up to you and you happen to have a snack in your pocket, I think you're going <laughs> to want to give it to this adorable dog. And keep in mind, yes. nine years old is not that old. Yeah. It's something that, uh, that I think he's got many years left of, uh, of uh, being able to be a part of a family. Uh, since he does have, he's a little shy, but since he does have um, an easygoing asset overall, I think he would mesh pretty well with pets. And another thing, going back to how anti-cruelty works, um, which puts them above and beyond many other shelters, is just that you're able to actually introduce the pets to one another. You're able to actually, if you choose to adopt Ajax, and something was to happen where they just didn't get along with the current canine or feline that you have at the house, there's no questions asked. You can actually bring Ajax back to uh, get adopted by someone else who can handle them. But just the... I think the step one is the diet. You've got to find something that is going to be low calorie but high volume because he is a larger dog, and, uh, but we can get that weight down over time by increasing activity. And I'm not saying going out for a jog because you might want to go for a jog. Ajax isn't going with you right now, <laughs> but down the road to kind of uh, give them the incentive to come out with you and just be walking around. If it's just walking around the block to start and then maybe doing two laps, maybe a week or two later, Activity increase and caloric intake decrease, but maintaining the same amount of volume and maybe the same eating schedule that Ajax had before. And keep in mind, there's also um, certain types of treats that are good for, that, that don't have a lot of calories, that are actually good for their dental health, that can kind of uh, yes. help along the way because that breakthrough pain or when, or pain, breakthrough hunger or when, uh, when Ajax starts to start to beg, because I imagine uh, this is being one of those. A pup that comes up to you and just gives you those puppy dog eyes, and then you know your 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 heart's gonna melt. You're gonna want to give them a treat, but making sure whatever treats those are are of the low calorie nature, and, mm-hmm. and maybe like even one of those denta bones that are gonna ultimately help his uh, his dental health because that that makes a big difference over time when when uh, animals go through and, and again true for people too. If you don't take care of your teeth, um, that leads to other problems down the road. Yeah. One thing I've discovered with Willow, um, Willow loves to eat. Willow loves to eat all the time. Um, but he, he, he loves green beans. He loves carrots. I mean, I, you know, whenever I'm cooking, as long as it's not like anything in the nightshade family, you know, uh, especially if it's a green vegetable, um, I always, I always, I mean, this is a dog who eats lettuce for God's sake. Um, and I saw one dog on Instagram where they would give him a big uncut chunk of romaine and he would eat it like a bone, you know, like mm-hmm. you know, getting in there and crunching it. And that's that's exactly Willow. Willow loves to eat 
and he does have those puppy dog eyes. Um, but you know, he's as, he's just as happy with a couple of carrots or a couple of green beans as he is with doggy ice cream. And you mentioned something important there, the crunch, because that is something that, you know, just like with, with, yes. with people, like sometimes you get more satisfaction out of what you're eating as a human when you get that little bit of crunch. So, I mean, if you're replacing, let's say for humans, uh, croutons with, uh, celery sticks and a salad, you know, you might get that crunch. The same is true for the canines. When they get that crunch, they get that kind of fix that they need to uh, get, get the sensation that they're eating something a little more uh, caloric or like just a little more satisfying. Uh, that might actually help quite a bit. So the carrot sticks, um, I mean, the lettuce, that's the first time I've ever heard of that, but I, I get where you're coming from. A nice mm-hmm. low calorie, basically mostly water and a little bit of protein. And it's just something that can uh, help them feel like they're being fed, being given treats, even though the treats that they're they're given are very healthy for them. (laughs) Though I don't know why it should surprise me that Willow likes to eat lettuce, because Pretty Girl likes to eat hand towels. Um, We no longer have kitchen towels hanging over like the the oven door, because every time you, you, you pull it up, she eats little round holes in them, like she's creating like Halloween masks out of everything. Um, but, you know, mm-hmm. you, when you've got a, a dog that eats hand towels, a dog that eats iceberg lettuce doesn't seem that weird. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So I've got a I've got a I've got several uh, perfectly round holes in my hand towels <laughs> and kitchen as well. So they now sit far above <laughs> the, uh, the stove level. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, it um, it is um, it's there's there should be a game, Tracy. Um, maybe we could create a board game. What won't a puppy eat? And it'll right. be the whole game will be a quest to find something, anything that a puppy will right. not eat. I think That's I think right. we I think we should think about there this. Let's go. let's take a to commercial a break and we will ponder our new career as board game creators when Pet of the Month returns after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. This is our regularly sponsored Pet of the Month segment. I'm joined by President and CEO of Anti-Cruelty, Tracy Elliott, and um, Craig Badagowski from Mark Drugs. You may have seen recently in the Sun-Times, there was an article about a new mysterious illness that seems to be making dogs ill. Here's a little bit from the Sun-Times. Hundreds of dogs in at least 12 states have contracted a respiratory illness that in some instances has been unresponsive to antibiotics and in some cases caused death. A juvenile and geriatric dogs and those with pre-existing conditions are at higher risk of becoming seriously ill. Flat-faced dogs, such as pugs, French bulldogs, and boxers, also tend to have worse effects from respiratory illnesses in general. Veterinarians are urging dog owners to monitor their pets for respiratory symptoms, keep them up to date on their vaccines, and avoid boarding them this holiday season as we are seeing cases of this mystery illness on the rise. And Tracy, I don't know if anti-cruelty has had to do this, but again, as I've told you both before, my Instagram is entirely pretty much made up of dogs. And somebody yes. from, one of the, from one of the shelters that I follow locally said that 
a big adoption event that was coming up either this weekend or last weekend was having to be rescheduled because um, it was going to take place somewhere where for some reason they were particularly concerned about spreading the illness. And so they, after a few days, they moved the adoption event to a different location. So this is having very real world effects right now. What have you seen at anti-cruelty? Well, thank goodness we've seen nothing. In fact, as far as anyone knows, there's been no reports of it being in the state of Illinois. And there's been no reports of it um, being in any shelter environment. Now, there are a lot of small shelters around the country where this could be happening and they wouldn't necessarily report it. But uh, fingers crossed, at the moment, the sheltering world has not uh, experienced this. And it also, when we, something like this happens, of course, we have incredible professionals on staff. Our our medical director and, and our vets are brilliant and well-read. They keep up. But we turn to a woman named Julie Levy, who is a, a, vet, uh, a vet and a professor at the University of Florida Shelter Medicine Program on the College of Veterinary Medicine there, worldwide um, authority on, on veterinary medicine, particularly, I think, uh, communicable diseases. So we went through and read what she's having to say, and she's kind of saying, don't panic. Um, we don't know a lot yet. We don't know that, that these instances that are being reported are actually the same thing. Um, they may have some similar um, uh, impacts or similar clinical signs, but um, just be be wary and be, uh, is I think the word you were uh, using is just monitor. And so that's what we're doing as well, monitoring both what's happening out there that's being reported, but also any, any signs of it here in uh, our community or even in the state. So you never know. It's, it's, it's unknown. They have idea, any idea at this point what pathogen is, if there is a pathogen. Um, it sort of looks like kennel cough, but it has some worse symptoms potentially. Um, and so we've just got to uh, keep our eyes open, but not uh, not panic at this point. And we're okay if, in Illinois and in Chicago so far as we know right now. So correct me if I'm wrong. Did I hear you just say that it's um, experts aren't even sure if this is one specific illness, but it might be correct. a group of respiratory illnesses that look similar enough that people think maybe it's something new? That's right, because they can't uh, identify any particular pathogen right now I see. Um, that's causing Well, that's it. one so, of the things, yeah, there was a <clears throat> quoted in the article was a woman who, uh, who's a vet and she's on the board of the Chicago Veterinary, Veterinary Medicine Association. And yes. she says mm-hmm. that some of the things that we commonly test for different viruses and bacteria, right. these cases, everything's coming back negative. Correct. And, you know, this isn't uh, unusual. It happens in humans. Um, even there are so many viruses that you can test for a significant number of them and nothing comes up. It doesn't mean it's not viral. Same thing with bacteria. Um, so uh, that's probably going to be a long-term uh, effort to try to figure out if they can identify actually what it is. But, um, you know, it's, it looks like kennel cough. Of course, we've also had... Uh, tell, uh, tell us again um, what kennel cough is exactly, Tracy. Well, well, kennel cough is is officially known as canine infectious respiratory disease complex, and wow. it's a, it basically uh, it it is when dogs have coughs uh, and that are 
um, identified by a pathogen and and can be treated. But this is a type of kennel cough that we don't know why and we don't know what to do about it yet. In a sense, it's you know a mystery disease, but it looks a lot like uh, a kennel cough. Hmm. So they're calling it potentially even atypical CRDC. It, yeah. it doesn't have a doesn't have a diagnosis. As far as as you guys know, can dogs get COVID? There was one report. Right now, there was a report they, about they China, right, Craig? I'm sorry. That, oh, I, I was just going to say that right now we don't think that COVID crosses over to uh, right. the canines or felines, something that kind of is unique to humans. But that doesn't mean there can't be a coronavirus that is unique to, to canines Correct. or something that we haven't discovered yet. That's why all these tests that they've been running, they're, they're coming up negative, but um, that's because they might not be testing for the right, uh, the, the right virus. And another thing could be, that when you test for something, and let's, what's very likely happening here is some sort of virus that kind of gets the ball rolling. And, and viruses, most respiratory viruses like this are, are uh, transmissible. So it goes from one mm-hmm. dog to the other, but the right. other dog gets it and has the initial symptoms of the virus, but later on, because their immune system is weakened and trying to fight this virus, a bacteria can come and start to... Start to um, manifest and, and you start to have almost a co-infection that started with a That's viral right. infection that this often happens in humans too. You start with, um, you start with just the flu. And then uh, later on, it develops into bacterial pneumonia because your body is busy fighting one pathogen. Another one gets a chance to kind of uh, fester and become a serious problem. So it's very likely that um, after the virus has been cleared, now the dog is fighting something a little more serious, like a pneumonia, and then right. they're just testing for, when they're testing for the virus, it's no longer in the body, but perhaps there could be um, a bacteria that could be causing the problem. Now, the typical treatment for something like kennel cough is a course of antibiotics, something that's pretty simple, like, like uh, amoxicillin or doxycycline or even enrofloxacin, which, um, you know, the first two drugs are one for humans and uh, canines, but the last one is specifically for respiratory infections in, uh, in canines and sometimes in, in felines as well. And what was that but, one called uh, again, the one that's just for dogs? Uh, Enrofloxacin. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Cipro uh, for humans, but um, it's unique to uh, canines and felines. And it has a very broad spectrum, meaning it's supposed to cover a lot of different bacteria. Now, there's not too many treatments for the viral component of this. So usually with a viral infection, you just have to kind of treat it um, you know, you just got to make sure the, the dog is hydrated, is continuing to eat. Right. That's one of the main symptoms that's happening with this, uh, I guess, this new kennel cough, that uh, right. that they get tired. And then all of a sudden, if they stop mm-hmm. eating, like, oh, that's a big vital sign when it comes to especially animals. When they start to lose yes. their appetite, something is up. Um, now, right. they also have these coughing and sneezing and other things that uh, – can let you know that the animal is definitely impaired or is somewhat sick. Uh, the big thing to do right now, I, Tracy, you're absolutely right. There's no need for panic right now. There's been uh, respiratory illnesses in canines before. This is, might be a new one, and there will be ones in the future. But it's something that what you can do is if you have multiple animals in the household and one of them is displaying symptoms, uh, definitely put that canine, try to isolate them so that they don't give it yes. to the other one. 
Another another yes. small tip that you can do is make sure you have separate um, watering, you know, separate food and separate water bowls because it's very likely, like, you know, when dogs drink water, sometimes they put their whole snout mm-hmm. right in there. It's very likely that if it is a viral, uh, one dog goes in there, puts some of the virus into the water bowl, and then the next one comes and drinks from that same water bowl. That's a very easy way of transmission, not to mention just how dogs say hello to one another. Uh, there's definitely ways to um, transmit this if it is uh, indeed viral. But, again, mm-hmm. also like Trace said, we don't know. This is popping up in many different pockets. Um, like, thank goodness, not in Illinois. Yes, I'm sure uh, there are probably undocumented cases in Illinois. Uh, most Very of them. Possible. When, uh, if, if your canine does get this, Keep in mind, it's it's very unlikely that uh, that they're going to die from it, but just be uncomfortable and perhaps just need to uh, be treated. Um, you know, if you have to bring the animals to the veterinarian, though, make sure you let them know ahead of time. Don't bring your dog yes. into the veterinarian's office where other dogs right. are going to be. They're they're on top of this. They know that uh, this is in a potentially emerging problem. You call ahead of time to let them know that my dog is having these symptoms. You know, they will very likely want to isolate that. They'll, they'll treat your dog, but they mm-hmm. will want to isolate so that they make sure that whatever your dog has doesn't get to the rest of the, the, uh, the patients at the, at the veterinary clinic. So uh, the one thing you can do is if you see your canine having these symptoms, make sure they're isolated and not sharing food or water with any other canines. Uh, so that hopefully it just stops at your dog and who will very likely get through it just like they would uh, when they do actually in canines get influenza, just like humans. So mm-hmm. they'll probably ride out the virus and hopefully it doesn't become a co-infection with some sort of bacteria that can get a little bit deeper in the lungs and cause a bacterial or um, or even there is still aspergillus and types of fungus that can cause similar symptoms, but those are, typically take a lot longer to develop. We are going to extend our Pet of the Month segment today for uh, another 15 minutes. We're going to take a break for news at the top of the hour, and then we're going to come back and spend one more segment on this uh, because I still have uh, lots of questions, not only about this mystery illness that we have to be on the lookout for, but just general respiratory illnesses in general. And we come back. Um, we're going to go over w- really what are the symptoms you should be looking for, at what point do you take your pet to the vet, all those questions and more. Craig Bodagowski from Mark Drugs, Tracy Elliott from Anti-Cruelty. We will all be back right after the news. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We are extending our regularly sponsored Pet of the Month segment by uh, 15 minutes today because we are talking about this mystery illness that in 12 different states appears to be making dogs ill, hundreds of dogs. It's a respiratory illness. Um, Craig Bodagowski from Mark Drugs, uh, Tracy Elliott, President, CEO of Anti-Cruelty, are joining me for this discussion. And um, from what you guys have read, and, and Tracy, you can start with this, what are the symptoms 
of this mystery illness? Are they just are there is there one set of symptoms for a respiratory illness? I mean, you know, whether it's kennel cough or something else, are the symptoms going to be the same? And if if the symptoms are the same and I'd like you to talk about what they are, how do we discern what illness our dog has? Tracy, you want to start with that? Happy to do so. Yeah, I, that's that's the thing is the symptoms are fairly similar, which obviously are coughing, sneezing, discharge from the nose, um, difficulty breathing, uh, as Craig said, uh, uh, perhaps losing their appetite, and also very low levels of activity that you notice. If I am my crazy Emmy Lou doesn't run around all day, about 23 hours a day, there's something wrong. <laughs> um, so it, they are similar. <clears throat> Apparently they get somewhat more severe, um, but uh, again, we don't really have any data. That's purely anecdotal. That's the problem is all of our data on this right now is anecdotal. But, but Craig, when somebody you know, sees these symptoms, how do you know, because you talked about making sure a dog is getting plenty of water, if there's more than one pet in the house, making sure that the sick puppy or a kitty is isolated. How do you know when it's just something that you can get through and when it's something to go to the vet for? Well, really, you're going to have to kind of know your pet. I mean, you mentioned something very important in the first uh, in the last segment about the types of breeds. Uh, the flat-faced uh, breeds are the ones that are going to be slightly at risk, and that's something that's uh, universal for their entire life. They're just more likely develop um, some sort of respiratory infection just because of the physical dimensions of their snout. Like much shorter. Yes, exactly. So having a shorter snout like that will make it so that uh, a, a, a virus or a bacteria can get up into the sinuses much quicker than, say, like, uh, like Ajax has a nice, you know, long nose like a lot of dogs do, and they're less likely to have these types of uh, respiratory illnesses. But so that can get confusing. When you have a pug or you have a dog that sneezes a lot or perhaps has allergies. So you might not notice a big difference because, yeah, you know, my, my dog has, um, you know, of a certain breed that happens to cough a little bit more, happens to sneeze a little bit more. I guess what you'd be looking for for those types of animals specifically is if they start having runny eyes and runny nose. Um, so they're coughing, but maybe they always cough. But as soon as it, you start to notice that they have a runny nose and their eyes are watering more than usual, that could be a sign that perhaps they're sick. Now, I don't think at that point you need to bring them to the veterinary clinic. I think what's more important at that point is to monitor how much water they're drinking and how much food they're having. So you fill that bowl, I'm assuming you don't have a robot do it, but you, feed, you put the, the bowl of food out, you see how much they're eating, and you, you notice that there's a little bit more leftovers than usual, that's a sign. So I think as soon as it crosses over to the point of inappetence, and they're just not hungry, or even if they appear to be not hungry, and then you make them something that you know they love, or they're, they're refusing treats, I mean, that's when it's time to notify the veterinarian first. Don't just show up. Let them know that my dog is having these symptoms of coughing, sneezing, runny nose, runny eyes, and perhaps the coughing and sneezing is somewhat uh, par for the course for, for your animal, but it's a runny nose and runny eyes. That should be new and, and pretty obvious. And in Appleton, that's, that's, that's when you should go to the hospital to make sure that uh, hopefully they can treat it with antibiotics or perhaps you can bring it in and they get tested and they can identify a specific pathogen that one of the antibiotics will, will work on. Um, but I would say at first, if you just notice a little bit of coughing 
that's not time to panic. That's not time to worry. It is maybe time to start considering isolating. If you their animals, um, you know, that's what we're trying to avoid here, the, the spread of this. Again, the, these hotspots seem to be all over the country, and, and for right now, does not seem to be in Illinois. Um, yeah. But uh, I would say as soon as you notice a new symptom, um, for instance, if the dog wasn't coughing but now is, or if the dog has one, is one of one of those breeds that tends to cough a little bit more or have respiratory issues, and all of a sudden they're having a runny nose consistently, mm-hmm. or if the, their eyes are tearing, then that's uh, probably a sign that something could be developing. As soon as they stop eating or, you know, flat out refusing food, that's when it's time to seek veterinary care. Yeah. Tracy, you said that, that a bug uh, hasn't been identified and that it's even possible that this quote-unquote mysterious respiratory illness might be more than one illness and the people are just thinking that it's something new because the symptoms are similar. I assume that means that um, that somewhere that people are taking samples from sick dogs and 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 I assume maybe at, at vet schools or somewhere they're they're looking at either sputum or blood or something to see if there's something brand new. Where would that kind of testing take place, Tracy? Well, normally it would take place uh, in a veterinary office to try to to, to determine and 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 then potentially be reported. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not sure if it's concentrated enough yet where there is any particular institution that is. That is working on it. Um, as I was reading Dr. Julie Levy's article, um, Florida would be a place where that would be likely. She mentioned nothing about the fact that they're doing any kind of testing or have any plans to at this point. So it's probably my guess is, and I, and I don't know this for sure, Joan, but it's probably pretty diffused and diverse right now. There's probably not really anybody who is sort of quote on this. Um, as oftentimes the case, when some new illness comes, it takes a while to marshal the forces of whatever, you know, medical structure is out there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they're just, there's not, so far as I have read, there's no sort of organized um, attempt at this point in the industry to uh, try to figure out what's going on. It's more scattershot. Mm-hmm. And if our dogs have uh, what appears to be a cold, uh, for lack of a more precise terminology, do we have to worry about passing that cold on to people? And conversely, if I have a winter cold, do I have to worry about passing that cold on to my dogs? No. Uh, as far as yeah. it being very common for these types of diseases to, you know, cross right. over from companion animals, I mean, it's uh, – it's it's very unlikely. I don't think you got to worry about isolating yourself from Willow if you were to get a cold, and uh, if right. Willow were to develop a cough. Um, again, like okay, if Willow's not hungry, if Willow's refusing food, then <laughs> oh, there is a my problem. God. But uh, then we're going to the twenty four hour emergency vet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think I think uh, you don't have to worry about. Um, you know, it, it crossing over uh, at, at this point, it's something that the, the physiology of uh, us versus canines is, is so different that the, the viruses might be in a similar family. Um, you know, like there is influenza that does affect canines, but it's specific for their anatomy and not for ours. So don't, don't worry about that. 
and, and try to bring, right. you know, just, just pay attention to, uh, to yourself, you know, keep yourself healthy too, and do what you can to, uh, you know, get through the cold, but uh, don't uh, isolate yourself from your companion animal. Well, this guys is uh, such valuable information because, you know, you read these things and you're thinking, oh, my God, mystery illness and how do I stay safe? Right. And well, I thought it was interesting that the article in the Sun-Times did suggest that if you can possibly avoid boarding your dog over the holidays, that that would be that would be a great thing. Um, so, you know, people are starting to really pay attention and, and worry about this. And as we yeah. as we kind of circle back, I do want to remind people this is pet of the month and we have a new pet of the month. And um, he is a beautiful, sweet boy named Ajax. And uh, you will not have to go through the puppy trauma. Uh, do you, Tracy, did I tell you that when pretty girl gets bored, she eats the woodwork? Oh, no. She eats. We found <laughs> at, like at the bottom of the stairs, the wood is all chewed up. And I was like, yeah. what it, do I have termites? And then one day I heard her crunching. I mean, it's yeah. good God. It's everywhere. Uh, there is yeah, nothing that is safe. Nothing is safe. There are dogs like that. I, uh, I'm sorry for you. Um, vinegar <laughs> or, you know, there's, they make some other sprays too that are non-toxic to the dog, but make the taste so bad they won't eat it. You can look at the, look for those in your pet store. Yeah. I'm sure Craig might have something like that as well, or at least a suggestion. Yeah, yeah I mean, even just, just some, something that that uh, that they don't like, you know, something some sort of like um, uh, even uh, vinegar or something in an area that they yeah. make spots or, or yeah. they have a problem with. It can be something that they then they go back to it, and then hopefully the negative reinforcement kicks in, and they're like, "Oh wait, this I shouldn't be doing this because it tastes terrible." So uh, little tricks like that, but they do have specific products at pet stores that are uh, meant to keep cats away from spraying in certain areas and dogs from from chewing up your furniture. Well, the chewing. next time I see you, know, you two guys in person, like a, go ahead, Tracy. Sure. I was going to say it sounds like a perfect reason to you know do some redecorating and renovate. <laughs> well, I've been looking at YouTube videos for how I can buy you know this filler and 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 re put yes. the wood back and sand it and paint it again. But I was just going to say next time I see you two in person, I don't want either of you to say, "Joan, you smell kind of like vinegar. Where is that coming right. from?" Okay? Right. All right. Cuz it was your advice. Uh, thank you both for being here. It is um, wonderful, fun, and, and and such valuable information. Uh, Tracy Elliott, President, CEO of Anti Cruelty. Craig Bodagowski from our very favorite Mark Drugs in Deerfield and Roselle. Thank you, thank you, both of you for joining me today. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Be well. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back with Rick Smith right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. While we are waiting to connect with Rick Smith, there's a little bit more that is going on that I wanted to talk to you about. <clears throat> In addition to George Santos being expelled from Congress, of course, as I'm sure you're hearing and seeing everywhere, the first female to sit on the Supreme Court, Sandra Day O'Connor, has passed away. She was uh, suffering from dementia, and uh, as is frequently the case with people who slow down because of dementia, she had a very bad pneumonia, and it was 
it was fatal in her case. Um, she was quite the feminist. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is famous for saying, when asked how many women should be on the Supreme Court, she said, well, the entire Supreme Court should be made up of women. I mean, like, why would you even ask something so silly? And uh, Sandra Day O'Connor was the first woman. And uh, in at least one interview I've seen so far, um, people were saying, well, you know, um, why do you think you were appointed? And she said, well, you know, you might have noticed that... Um, she might have noticed that 51, 52 percent of the uh, population is female. And um, that, you know, she shouldn't be not only should she be on the Supreme Court, but she shouldn't be the only one. A couple other news items. Um, one you may have missed. I have played on this show. I play a lot of sound bites. And one person who I have occasionally shared their comments with you was Mehdi Hassan. He was a weekend anchor at uh, MSNBC, and he was very outspoken. Um, very, very outspoken. He was one of the few uh, Muslims who was on the air. And um, now there is, I think, only one a Muslim left who has their own show on MSNBC. Mehdi Hassan, in what was described as a realignment to prepare MSNBC for the 2024 elections, uh, he his regular weekend show uh, has gone away. It was announced that he is going to be doing special reports, and um, he is going to be a fill-in anchor. Um, but uh, no more, no more show. A lot of people are saying bad things about this decision, that with all of the conflict in the world, that this was a very bad time to silence a voice for the Muslim community. Mehdi Hassan himself has not really made any public comment, I'm sure, because he is still on the payroll. He had his show taken away, um, but he didn't, um, he wasn't fired outright. You know, they, I'm sure they said, you know, we're going to continue your contract. You're just going to be um, out in the field a little bit more and you're going to be filling in for our other anchors. And, uh, you know, you better not be um, <laughs> complaining, at least not publicly, about this. I've told you before about uh, Jay Rosen, um, who is one of the most astute media observers and commentators. If you're not following him on social media, that is something that you need to do right now. And um, he posted... On every level, craft, honor, politics, technique, this is a bad decision by NBC News and MSNBC. There's been a lot of backlash about this cancellation. Mehdi Hassan was noted, noted. Not everybody agreed with all of his rants and um, essays, but he was one of, if not the best interviewer on television today. 
no matter where you came from, you better have your facts straight and your ducks in a row because Mehdi Hassan had all of his information at his fingertips, and he was not going to let you get away with hyperbole. He sure as heck wasn't going to let you get away with uh, information that was less than honest. Uh, and he was very much admired because of that. He has um, officially lost his show in what is described as a reorganization that is going to make NBC better prepared for the 2024 election. Well, we'll see about that. One other um, item of note today, we haven't talked about the situation in Gaza. The um, temporary truce has come to an end. There have been Israeli airstrikes again in Gaza, and um, which is something the um, the truce, the temporary truce, was something that people thought or hoped might be extended. It has not been. It is. It is over. And there has been some reporting today that says that Israel had some kind of information that this terrorist attack was in the planning a year ago. I haven't been able to do a deep dive into any of that. Um, I'm sure that's something that we will be talking about next week. Right here, right now, we are going to be talking to the lovely and talented Rick Smith, who I believe uh, is going to be leaving WCPT after tonight. Rick, how are you? I am good, Joan. I appreciate you taking time for us. Well, always, my friend. Um, tell me what's going on with you. I was listening to your show oh, a couple of days ago, and you're like, oh, I really appreciate all the people calling in and saying how much they're going to miss me because I'm leaving radio. And I was like, what? I'm, I'm driving alone in my car, and I am talking back to the car. What? What's going on here? <laughs> uh, well, we're, we're leaving the live show. What we're doing is, uh, you know, we've, uh, we're we're moving to do TV in the in the coming year. Uh, we signed an agreement with Free Speech TV to do an hour daily show in the new year. Um, cool. To try and bring some working class voices to the television waves, um, and we're going to use that audio for radio stations that want to pick it up. WCPT chose not to, uh, but other stations have chosen to pick it up. Uh, look, you know we we were at the the middle of the year looking at going. You know, where where can we grow more into what can be the best way to use our resources and our time to get messaging out? And sadly, radio, we had maxed out on. We were on 50 stations across the country, and there's nowhere else. There, there's no more growth opportunity for, for progressives, for working-class liberals. There, there's no place for me to go more. Uh, we were added to the Talkers Magazine Heavy 100. You know, we're, we're looking at where we go from here, and... Uh, television seemed to be the most next logical space for us to go. And um, so we're, we're leaving the live radio space. It breaks my heart because I've been doing this for 18 years now. But, you know, you look you look at time and resources and where you're going to you know, maybe make the best impact. And uh, this is where, we, where we've decided we, we need to go. And it's, it's sad because, like I said, you know, it's heartbreaking after 18 years to leave live radio and the intimacy and the you know, the connections you make with people, you, you know how it is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Ray and I were just um, looking at our uh, cable offerings. And for us, 
Freedom TV is an app that we have downloaded and it exists with all of our other apps like YouTube and Hulu and all of that. Is that the way most of us are going to be getting your show? Uh, well, through, like, Free, Speech this- TV, Free Speech TV is on, uh, you know, on Dish Network, on DirecTV, uh, a number of cable operators. Yeah, we have Comcast they, and we can get it. Uh, they, they say that they're in uh, 70 million homes on your television through your cable provider. Uh, right now, uh, with the streaming apps and everything else, obviously in every home, uh, but free speech TV is available just about everywhere. You know, I, the weird thing is, and this has happened to me three times in the last six months, uh, and I've only stayed in four hotels in the last six months. But three times <laughs> in the last six months, I've flipped on the TV, and oddly enough, I was there. <laughs> and that's how weird that is. Is that I'm going? Wait a second, that's me. Why am I there? Um, so somebody, so there are people watching it, and I'm 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 thrilled at the what they've brought us into to do, and they're going to give us opportunities to do some great things um, that I can't do doing a live show every night. Okay, uh, the well, traveling is 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 impossible to uh, do. Uh, we we want to go and and go where people are. We want this election cycle. We want to we we want to get out in the streets like we did for our working class heroes tour, and. You know, we want to meet people and talk to people and share stories and, and do those things that I love doing that is just almost impossible to do while you're doing live radio every night. Oh, Rick, we need to take a break. I want to talk to you more about that, about what what we can expect from your show. I'm talking to Rick Smith. Uh, he is going to be on Freedom TV, or he already is on Freedom TV. What do I know? Uh, we're going to be back with more after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Our good friend and uh, radio host, at least former radio host, Rick Smith joins us. He is in the process of making the move over to Freedom TV. Yeah, that's what it's called, right? I got that right. Free Speech TV. TV. I always call it Freedom TV. And it is Free Speech TV. It's about freedom. Yes. Ray corrects me all the time. Um, but I can't seem to get that into my head. So um, how is this going to work? I looked at the show times, and um, your show is going to be on five times a week? It's, it's currently on five days a week right now. We do a half hour daily of our radio program. But in the new year, uh, we're going we're gonna to move into an afternoon slot for an hour a day. And then we're, gonna, we're talking about doing specials and, and, and a whole bunch of really cool stuff uh, that I've, I've wanted to do for a while. But we're, we're like hammering what? down that time. Look, you know, we, we did a month-long tour across, you know, Iowa and Wisconsin and Illinois and Ohio and Pennsylvania. And, and we, you know, we went to events and we spoke to people and, and, you know, I, I like getting out and, and doing and traveling and seeing people and going to events. So, you know, part of what we want to do is we want to, we want to do more of, of that getting around and, uh, you know, out on the, out on the street kind of stuff and talking to people. So you're going to be at events and out on the street talking to people with a camera crew now and recording it and then putting it together for your show? That's that's kind of the goal, uh, you know, and you know, there, there's a, that is the goal of what we want to do. But we also want to do the best hour of, of, of working class TV that we can possibly do. Uh, you know, like I said, we were looking at where we were and, you know, our ability to bring revenue in and grow into the future and, and radio we had maxed out at. And, uh, you know, TV is going to give us a, a more, a larger opportunity to see, to, to, to 
get you know a larger audience if, if that makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely it makes sense and do you have a list of either events you want to attend or topics that you uh, are really looking forward to covering well, our goal right now is to, uh, you know, this will begin in the new year. The election is, is going to be huge. So we're going to spend a lot of time focused on, you know, on you know, in my view, getting Joe Biden reelected uh, if he's the nominee. And I, there's no reason to believe he won't be. Because, look, at the end of the day, this guy has done some great stuff. Mm-hmm. for people. Uh, I just don't think it's been magnified enough. I don't think there are enough left voices out there. And you talked a minute ago about uh, Mehdi Hassan, you know, being uh, moved and MSNBC shuffling their their schedule. There is no place for for liberal, progressive, working class voices outside of the right wing echoes chamber. There's just not. Uh, and you know, every, the one thing that drives me crazy is they say, well, you know, labor and 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 Democrats don't have a message. Yeah, they've got a message. They've got a great message. The problem is, is they haven't had a, they don't have access to platforms to get that message out because mm-hmm. sadly they haven't invested in it. And a big part of our move is financial. At the end of the day, we have limited resources, and those limited resources we decided had to go in a way that's going to get us into bigger audiences and, and reach more people. I wish I could continue to do both, but there's only one of me. I haven't cloned myself yet. We, have, we don't have that technology yet. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, the, the crew that I have are just, you know, three fire-breathing do-gooders who in their part-time uh, you know, hobby stage are put on a nationally syndicated radio program that you know was viewed by some as one of the top 100 in the country, and and a TV show. And we had to make the the, the choice with our limited time of you know where we're going to go. And it, you know, like I said, it breaks my heart. I love radio. I love the intimacy, uh, but you know this is this is where the new year has taken us. Mm-hmm. And because um, especially if you're out in the field, a lot of this is going to be. Uh, pre-recorded and edited. Uh, are you? Is there going to be any kind of option for um, listener interaction? Any kind of text line or phone line, or is that's just not simply going to work? Well, we're working on on what that all looks like. I look. I, I you know, there's talk of doing a, a weekly live you know pod, pod thing kind of. You know, with the technology today, you can flip on a microphone from anywhere in the in the world, and and people can pick you up. So there's there's some podcast stuff that we're looking at, and some some you know obvious audience inter. Uh, you know, participation. Uh, I've brought it up to free speech of doing a weekly call in uh, to try and bring people in. And, you know, there, there, there are lots of possibilities and, and I'm excited about the future. I think it's going to be very, I think it's going to be very good. I think we're going to have some great opportunities. And, and I think a lot of radio stations are going to find that the hour that we're going to put out uh, is suitable for radio. And uh, like I said, uh, I think like 23 of the 50 that we were on, I uh, have chosen to pick up the hour um, and and you know, I'm, I'm hoping all the rest will come around eventually. So you're going to do this for Free Speech TV, and then the audio of your show is going to be available to uh, radio stations so that they can air uh, some semblance of the Rick Smith show on the radio airwaves as well, correct? That's what we're doing. And uh, look, this is where you know the, the interaction that I get uh, from, from listeners of WCPT. We get hundreds of emails uh, that we, we we go through, and I, I answer all of them. I get around to them. Yes, I do. But uh, and and I, I like that, and 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 I hope that continues. And I hope folks will follow us over to Free Speech TV. Freespeech dot org is the website. You can check your local cable providers to find if they have it. 
Uh, and if you don't, you know, by all means, tell us who your cable providers are, and I'm sure that they will go hunt that down. Because at the end of the day, they're trying to they're trying to change the world like you and I are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I've always said, if you want to change the world, you got to change your little piece of it. Yep. This is just making our little piece a little bit bigger. What company is behind Free Speech TV? It's not Oprah. Uh, listener supported. <laughs> it's, a, it's a listener supported nonprofit. Uh, they are. Their goal is to get you know as many you know uh, as many voices as possible on the air for people to be able to hear different points of view, mm-hmm. and that's what drove me to them from the beginning. That you know uh, that they're they're not controlling what what comes out of my mouth, nor would I ever allow that to happen. Uh, they're they're putting out the message for people to to pick and choose and to use, and I, I think that's terrific. Yeah. Um, you made reference to something that I had, had mentioned right before we started this was the MSNBC um, not firing Mehdi Hassan, but taking away his regular weekend show. Um, and even I was watch I was reading the comments. I read an article about it in The Washington Post. And what I thought was interesting is obviously there are people who are big fans of his. But even there were a number of comments from, you know, I didn't usually agree with him i didn't usually agree with his point of view but i thought that he was very passionate and very honest in his presentations and um and sort of like i didn't agree with him but he made me understand where he was coming from do you really think that uh, this is the time with the middle east on fire the way it is for for somebody like MSNBC to take one of their only uh, one of their two muslim hosts and take them off the air? I don't, but you know at the end of the day look this this idea that corporate america is going to give us the media that we want or need uh, is is a fallacy. This idea that MSNBC is some kind of bastion of leftwardism is is completely ridiculous. I get it all the time. MSNBC, that's the liberal network. That's the the, the left's answer to Fox. And you go really with a daytime lineup of all former Republicans, Joe Scarborough and the you know the the Bush uh, former communications person, and really all all moderate Republicans. And that's the best the left has to offer. Are you kidding me? This idea that MSNBC is doing something in the interest of democracy or in the interest of something on the left is is ludicrous. They're doing it about dollars and cents. They're doing it about money. The sad reality is, if you're on the left, there isn't a lot of money in this ball game, and MSNBC understands that, and they're going where the dollars are. Uh, corporate America is not going to sponsor uh, someone who is going to say, "Hey, you know, they're the problem." <laughs> that's just, mm-hmm. just not going to happen. You know, I get this all the time. I had someone, you know, recently go because I said, "Look, our, our financially, we're you know, we're, we're struggling to, to to meet all of our, our obligations to keep everything going." You go, "Well, why don't you go to Walmart or Amazon?" And I go, "Hold on, let, let's let's flesh out the the Walmart thing." Uh, I'll, let, let's say, off chance, I get a meeting with Walmart. Uh, what do you think they're going to say when I said, hey, I think all your workers should be unionized. They should be paid a living wage with health care, retirement security, and 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 also a union. Um, the corporation should pay higher taxes because, well, we need infrastructure and education and health care and you know, all the things that, that tax dollars pay for. And oh, by the way, I want the owners of your company, the Waltons, I want them taxed out of existence because having you know, billionaires uh, with the kind of power that they've got, it's not good for democracy. What do you think that they would say? Do you, yeah. you think they would say, yeah, we want to support that? Yeah, and I think the um, 
the biggest argument for what you're saying about MSNBC uh, isn't even Joe Scarborough. It's Andrea Mitchell, who yeah, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I think she must have. And I say this with all due respect. I think she must have naked pictures of a lot of people in positions of power at MS, MS, at, at MSNBC and NBC, um, because, you know, I am. Um, I see whenever anybody posts anything about her on social media, whenever she trends, it's always like, why is this woman still on the air? This woman is is the most negative. Um, and, and on MSNBC, I mean, it's I guess they want to hear all voices. But um, Andrea Mitchell seems to be the queen of the conservatives. And um, I used to watch Katie Tour. But Katie Tour, I don't know if it, maybe it's because they're on back to back and they've become friends. Katie Tour now seems to me to be Andrea Mitchell light. Um, and I can't watch her either. Um, I mean, just the, the snark and the negativity. Anyway, um, we need to take a break or I'm going to lose my sponsors. I'm talking to Rick Smith. <laughs> we are talking about his new show on Free Speech TV. We're going to be back with more after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. You can find Rick Smith on Free Speech TV. Uh, after the first of the year, he is going to be one of the regular afternoon hosts on Free Speech TV, which you can get through your cable provider. Well, you said you could also find it, Rick, at freespeechtv.org. Does that mean people can listen and watch on their computers, or does it have to be through yeah, free... a, te- a television? Well, you can watch on a computer, freespeech.org. Um, and, you know, you can just look, you can Google Free Speech TV or just go to freespeech.org. Uh, in fact, you know, I'm looking at the show that we're putting up tonight, uh, or that played last night, you know, that, that they're all right there. You can find them in rears, uh, their social media. Uh, they do a good job putting stuff out there as well. Uh, they cut up little clips of the show and they put those out. I, uh, it, they do, a, they do a really good job and we're, we're really excited about what the new year is going to hold for us. Well, I can't tell you how much we are going to miss you as part of the WCPT lineup here. And, um, Maybe down You don't the have road. to miss me. I'm willing to come back anytime. Yeah. Well, I let's was... talk to you anytime, Joan. I love you, and I love the work that you do. Uh, you're fabulous. Well, you know, be careful what you wish for. That's the only thing I'm saying. <laughs> you don't know how often I think, have has how, how long do I have to wait before I reach out to Rick again? Because I don't want him to think like I'm a stalker. You know, uh, I don't want him to think, oh, I don't want him to turn to his friends and go, oh, God, not her again. What does this woman want from me? Um, so I try not to take advantage of your very generous offer like that. But I love talking to you and I sp- specifically love talking to you because of your uh, in-depth knowledge of what's going on with unions and in the world of, of workers. You know, we talk to a lot of the tradespeople here at WCPT, but nationally, I think that, I think that it's going to be a very exciting time in the next few years to be a union worker and particularly even longer than that, if we can either reelect Joe Biden or someone who has his same mindset. I mean, when I saw him on that picket line with UAW workers, it warmed my little heart. 
Well, it, it, it didn't warm my heart. It made me go, hey, he must have found Obama's comfortable shoes. Because <laughs> Obama told us he was going to do that because he was going to put on his comfortable shoes and he was going to march. And I was in Wisconsin in 2011 when it was really cold sleeping on the floor of the Capitol. And I don't remember Obama marching by with the, the comfortable shoes. There were a number of strikes during his, his tenure, those eight years. I don't remember him with the comfortable shoes, uh, but there was Joe. There was Jelly Bucket Joe out there with those shoes walking on that picket line in a very historic fashion and really you know, sends a message. This, this coming election for working people in this country is, is, a, is a dividing moment. We're at a fork in the road. Which way do we go? Do we return to the old, you know, horrible NLRB? Do we return to an a activist uh, you know, Department of Labor against working people? Do we return to an administration that actively hates working people? Or do we continue down this path of reshoring manufacturing, bringing jobs back to this country and making sure that not only those jobs come back, but they're union jobs, they're family-sustaining wage jobs that help build communities? I was just talking with someone on the show the other day about a chip plant being built out in West Oakland, California. Uh, They are going to build the facility with a project labor agreement. That means every person who works on that project is going to have good wages, benefits, uh, apprenticeship programs, all the great stuff that comes with that. And the production workers, they've signed a neutrality agreement that if the production workers want a union, that they will not be harassed and intimidated. That is because of Joe Biden. That's not because, oh, the benevolency of these corp- this corporation. That's because Biden has said this is what we need to be doing and has put, put some dollars behind that and some, some muscle behind that. I I couldn't agree with you more. I think he has done more for unions than any president that I can uh, that I can remember. And as I'm sure, you know, yeah, not just you... unions, Joan, let me let me if I can, if I can push back sure. a little bit, not just unions, but all working people. Look, when you get a union job, a, there's a non-union job out there that's seeing benefits rise as well. You look at what happened with the with the the UAW workers when they got that contract, 25% raise. They got all, you know the things that a lot of things that they wanted. You saw that the non-union automakers raised their wages and said, "Oh, oh by the way, we're going to start doing this wonderful stuff too because we don't want those our workers to unionize." So there is a there is a pulling up. There's either a pulling up or pulling down. Unions pull wages and hours and conditions and, and all kinds of good things up. And, well, no rights at work legislation from Republicans who hate working people pull that stuff back down. Yeah. The UAW I was reading recently um, is going to be targeting some new manufacturers, uh, particularly Tesla. And I think that is long overdue. Do you, what do you think about that, going after Tesla to get those workers organized? Look, I think every worker in this country should have a union contract. I don't care what you do. You know, I was just talking with somebody the other day because we had, a, we had a, a Wells Fargo worker on the show who they're in, I think it's Albuquerque and in, in Alaska. Uh, there are two places where they're going to be voting to form a union at a Wells Fargo bank. And you go, you know, when my grandparents' generation were in the mainstay of their working lives, you had unionized bank workers, you had unionized waitresses, you had unionized insurance agents, you had unionized just about everything because workers understood when they have a contract, when they have something in writing like every CEO in this country has, that they're going to be okay. They're going to have everything spelled out. They're going to have you know, some recourse in the event the employer decides that they're going to turn their backs on it. 
It's a good thing. And I hope we get back to that. Uh, you know, when I started in the trucking industry back over 30 years ago, the LTL, the less than truckload trucking industry, was 85% unionized, which is why we had superior wages and benefits and all of that. And it's been diminished ever since as no rights at work, as, as all of the, the assaults on labor have happened. Now it's down to about 15%, and the wages aren't even close to what they were when I first started. Yeah. Yeah, the pendulum has definitely swung way, way too far. But I think that people are waking up to that because not only are um, workers making progress, but if you look at the surveys of just regular people, uh, the regular people are seeing these, you know, incredible wage gaps between CEOs and the median worker. And, and they're going like, wait a minute, when did this happen? This isn't fair. This is completely out of whack. And I know that there was a lot of people, there were a lot of people who thought when SAG AFTRA went on strike that nobody would empathize at all with the, with the actors because of course everybody thinks, everybody thinks everybody makes George Clooney kind of money when, you know, he's like point zero 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 one percent of SAG AFTRA. And I think that the, I think that Disney and, um, you know, a Warner Brothers, I think all of them are really surprised that the narrative, the public support was strongly behind the acting community and not behind the Bob Igers of the world. No, behind the workers. And, and I'm hoping that, uh, well, look, we're a working class country. I hope we come back together. As I've been saying for the longest time, Joan, if we're going to reunite this country, we've got to reunionize it. Because uh, that's how we solve all of these problems that, that they keep throwing at us to divide us. Uh, I keep saying we need to be fighting for things that make our lives better and stop fighting over nonsense. And we've been fighting over nonsense for too long. We need to get back to wages, hours, conditions, opportunities, not just for ourselves, but our children and future generations in this economy. Because understand, there are some there's some bad things coming down the road for working people. There is a structural shift going to happen as AI and robotics take over and all of the stuff that, that has yet to hit us in full force. Workers need to have the ability to fight back and at least have some way to benefit from what this transition that is coming. Look, in, in the trucking industry, I, I expect in my lifetime automated trucks to, to, to be rolling down the road. Uh, that's going to mean, uh, you know, what, two million drivers losing employment? What are you going to do with those folks? This is why we need to get policies ahead of the road. We need people, we need our, our lawmakers to be talking about that instead of about Matt Gates and, and, and that idiot uh, former speaker and this, this speak. Instead of all of the chaos that they keep showing us, uh, we need to be talking about real issues and getting real things solved to make sure that this massive shift that's going to happen, like ones of the past, doesn't harm workers. You know, every time we've had a technological advancement, it's been working people who have taken it on the chin. It's time for working people to not take it on the chin. And this should and could be that moment. Let's if we come so. back together. Um, if you go to freespeech.org, you can find the showtimes for the Rick Smith show. And uh, Rick said after the first of the year, he is going to have a regular afternoon slot. Uh, he is going to be a frequent guest with me here on my show. He just doesn't know it yet. Uh, Rick, thank Anytime you. Anytime you want. <laughs> take, thank you so much for talking with us today. Have a wonderful weekend. Love you, Joan. Thanks so much. That's going to do it for me. Driving at Home with Buddy Vasquez is up next. 
Uh, are you going to have a good weekend? Do you have one activity planned that is going to bring you joy? That's your assignment every weekend because uh, we're going to be awful busy in 2024. So make sure you find your happy place. I will see you Monday. Uh, remember, Santita will be here at 6 a.m. on Monday. But forget that. Patty Vasquez is on right now. Have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe, my friends. Good night. <laughs>